Good morning. My name is Craig Jenkins. Uh, I work at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I serve on the executive team. I work with Dr. Tucker. And uh, it's very obvious from just uh, walking around your facility and seeing you that uh, you are a great church as far as your sacrifice and your commitment to the kingdom. Within these walls, your gifts make a difference, but your gifts make a difference outside of these walls. Uh, I've heard much about how God's used you in this city, in this area. God continues to use you, so thank you so much for your kindness. This morning when I came into town, it's the first time in my life I've ever been to Danville, Arkansas. Uh, a couple months ago, for the first time, I met a person, a real person with flesh on from Danville, Arkansas. Um, but it's not the first time I'd heard of Danville. For the last 14 years, I've been a pastor in Texarkana before coming to work for the state convention. And as a pastor in Texarkana, we heard about the obvious tragedy and difficulty that Daniel, your church family, the city of Danville had in uh, the tragic accident and loss of Kayla and Landry. And we prayed for you. We prayed for Daniel and his family. We prayed for you as a church family during that time. So it's really neat, full circle. At that time, I had no idea that I would be leaving the pastorate. I had no idea that I would ever be in Danville, Arkansas. But we prayed for you, and it's good to lay eyes on you and be in a place that hopefully God has continued to work and do great things. You know, isn't it just like God to take such a brokenness and turn so many blessings out of it? Uh, just this week, I was talking to Daniel on the phone, and I appreciate his uh, invitation to be here with you this morning. And I was talking to Daniel on the phone, and basically, I, I told Josh, it was kind of like a mini revival breaks out with uh, Daniel and I just talking and hearing some of the incredible ways that God has used brokenness and has brought blessing to your church and to your community. And we praise God and we thank God for that. And I believed for a long time that God never wastes anything. He uses everything, uh, the good and the bad. It may not be good, but he uses it for his glory and for our good. And let me say this to you. Daniel did not tell me to say this, okay? He didn't pay me to, t to brag on you guys, but I'm going to brag on you from what I know about you. You are a blessing to your pastor and to your staff. Not every church is a blessing to their pastor and their staff, but you are, and that means a tremendous amount. To your pastor. Uh, back in 2014, my wife Melanie was diagnosed with breast cancer, and for most of that year, we were going through surgeries and chemo, and we were going through just the difficulties of that. It just took life over for us. But in the midst of that, our church loved us, loved our boys, loved our family, and ministered to us. And it was such a blessing. Honestly, it was hard to do. Uh, Daniel and I talked about this week. Sometimes it's hard for pastors to be pastored by their church. But when that happens, it is a tremendous blessing. So thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do for Daniel and for Josh and their families. You're a blessing to them. And they didn't even pay me to say that, okay? Uh, I just wanted you to know that today. Well, there was a, an article that came out some years ago in Forbes magazine. And Forbes magazine decided that they would ask their readers, what were the 20 most important tools that were ever invented in the history of the world? So they put together this panel uh, of people. They put together this panel of scientists and historians and engineers, and they decided that they would come up with their own list of the 20 most important tools 
that the world had enjoyed as an invention. Uh, the final list has some things on it that you would expect. Uh, there's no real surprises here. A candle, a fish hook, the saw, eyeglasses, the firearm, but the top three. Let me tell you the top three in the list. Maybe you're wondering what the top three are. Top three in the list. Number three, a compass, so that people knew where they were going, right? Number two, an abacus. Now, a lot of us don't even know what an abacus is. Just think, long time ago calculator, okay? And then the number one tool that this group of people, scientists, engineers, historians got together, they said the number one tool was the knife. Now, there was a lot of controversy about this list in Forbes magazine. Uh, some people got up in arms, not really because of what was on the list, but because of what was left off the list. Because people have made a case that maybe one of the greatest inventions, one of the greatest tools that the world has ever seen is something that you and I know of as duct tape, right? <laughs> duct tape. I mean, think about duct tape. Duct, duct tape is strong enough to pull a car out of a ditch, yet you can tear it with your bare hands. It is a self-contained tool. Uh, nails need a hammer. Screws need a screwdriver. Yet duct tape handles jobs all by itself. I went down a rabbit hole this week and got on a website where you can read all the ways that you can use duct tape. It's crazy. Uh, you can use duct tape to hold a spaceship together. NASA has used it. All the great technology that NASA has, and they use some duct tape. It's been used to hold vehicles together. You ever watch NASCAR? I mean, they'll have that whole car taped with duct tape holding it together. It, it is used for numerous home repairs. Me not being much uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor, have used duct tape in my own home. And you can even make clothes with duct tape. Go on uh, eBay and you can buy a duct tape sport jacket. I mean, there, this stuff is crazy in how it can be used. It has even been credited with saving lives. It's been used on the battlefield to bind up wounds and hold folks together. One of the most versatile tools ever. Why do I tell you that about duct tape? Because I want to introduce you to some men in Mark chapter 2 this morning who I think if they could have had access to duct tape, they would have had it with them. They are some of the most versatile and creative men that you meet in the Bible. These men in Mark chapter 2. Mark 2 verses 1 through 12 in those first few verses of Mark chapter 2. These guys were duct tape loving guys. And I think there's something we're going to learn from these guys this morning. I hope in just a few moments that I have with you this morning. Is let's have an attitude that says whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, we are going to do it. We are going to have a mindset like duct tape. Whatever it takes, we are going to get them to the fix. If you look in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 with me, let's look at God's Word together, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to break it down and kind of introduce ourselves to these four guys that we meet here. Uh, the Bible says when he, of course, the he we're referring to is Jesus there. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, 
They removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk, so that they may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. When's the last time you heard that in a Baptist church? We've never seen anything like this. That's what we want to pray for. Pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be with these sweet and kind folks. I pray for Daniel as he's away today. I pray that you'll recharge and encourage him as he visits with family and friends. Lord, thank you for Josh and his ministry here. Lord, thank you for these people and their ministry to their pastor. Lord, we pray for this morning that you would form and fashion in us an attitude, a mindset, whatever it takes. Lord, I pray that you will help us to have the mindset of duct tape. That whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, we will be willing to do. Teach us from these four men today. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say together, amen. Let me tell you something about these four men. There's four things I want to say about these four men real quick, okay? Number one, these men looked beyond the conventional. They looked beyond the conventional. Uh, Mark is the most descriptive of the four gospel writers. Mark is a details guy. He talks about details more than any of the other gospel writers do. And Mark describes the man who's at the center of this story as a paralytic, but he gives no details about it. We don't know whether this guy was a paralytic because he was born that way. We don't know whether this guy was a paralytic because he fell off a ladder. We don't have a clue. We don't know whether he's been a paralytic for all of his life or some of his life. No idea. But there is something that I think we can assume, okay? This is my assumption. My assumption is that this injured man likely has sought out some kind of treatment or some kind of fix for his paralyzed condition. I mean, that would be normal, right? If you're sick, you're going to seek out some kind of cure. And this man likely did what everyone else did in his day, and that is they were looking for some way to fix their broken body. We know that there were ways people did this. In John chapter 5, you may remember the story of the pool of Bethesda where the blind and the lame would go and Jesus encountered people there. It was believed that its waters could heal and regenerate. People just like this guy would go to that place because the conventional wisdom of the day was you need to go there and try to get healed. You need to go to a doctor. You need to do this. You need to do that. We have the same kind of conventional wisdom that we operate with today. Well, if the man did this, and I don't know if he did, but that's just my hunch that he did. If he did this, it didn't work because he's still a paralytic. He's still paralyzed when we meet him here 
in Mark chapter 2. He tried the conventional. He tried the normal ways. He did everything that people told him to do. But yet he was still a paralytic. And this is where this man has some friends that get involved. And I would say this. Thank God for friends like these four people. Thank God for people who may see someone and are willing to see beyond the conventional. And that's exactly what these guys do. They, they heard, they had heard that Jesus was in the region. How could you not? We, we read just a second ago about the crowd that was going on. If something like that happened in Danville, word would have passed around town, okay? These guys hear Jesus is in town and these guys think to themselves, man, we need to get our friend to Jesus. I guarantee you that was not the conventional thinking of the day. The conventional thinking of the day was you go to these pools or you go to something like hot springs or you go to a doctor or you try to take this medicine. That was the conventional thinking, not going to Jesus. But these guys say, you know what, let's take our friend to Jesus. These guys were willing to try something different. They were willing to do something that was not conventional. They were willing to take their friend to Jesus. I mean, their thought was this, man, why not try Jesus? We've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? I wonder if you can relate to that today. You obviously, uh, many of you, I saw some of you walk in here. Uh, physically, you're good. And we don't have a paralytic uh, in our midst this morning. But really, if we get behind the physical and maybe we go to the emotional, maybe if we go to the spiritual in your life, you can find something where you can connect with this paralytic because you're lame and crippled too spiritually emotionally and maybe you've tried all kinds of things to fix those feelings that you have I mean you've tried to get in the right relationships you've tried the right hobbies you've tried the right friends you've tried the right career you've tried the right education you've tried the right possessions maybe you've even tried the right church I mean you've done all the things that is the conventional wisdom to fix those feelings that are going on in you. But I would ask you this, have you tried Jesus? Have you tried Jesus? Because if you haven't tried Jesus, you haven't tried enough. And let's just be honest, what have you got to lose? I mean, you've tried everything else, why not try Jesus? That was the mindset of these friends who carry this man to Jesus. These men had the faith to believe that if they got their friend to Jesus, Jesus can and could make a difference. Conventional wisdom will say no, but faith says yes. And that's what drove these four guys to take their friend to Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about the constant rub between conventional wisdom and faith that we all feel. And remember these words, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There are things that you and I should be willing to do, whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, that people are gonna say to us, you're crazy. I mean, that guy's burned all kinds of bridges. That, that lady has, has, has all kinds of things in her past and has all kinds of broken relationships and you'll just be another one. But there's got to be somebody who's wanting to look beyond the conventional and do whatever it takes to take that person to Jesus. These guys did that. They looked beyond the conventional. But they also looked beyond something else. They looked beyond the circumstances. 
They look beyond the circumstances. <laughs> the circumstances are not good when we uh, meet here in Mark chapter 2. Remember, remember these guys' mission. They've made this mission. We're going to load our friend up and we're going to take him to Jesus. That's what their intention is. Well, the, the circumstances when they get near Jesus are not good. The crowds are huge. As you can imagine, lots of people are interested in this man named Jesus. Not only were the crowds large, but these guys were late. They were good Baptists. You know, I mean, they, they, if it started at 11, hey, I can be there at 11.05. You know, it's no big deal. So they show up late, and they show up late, and the problem is the crowds are so big, they're bu busting out the doors. There's no way that they are going to get their friend to Jesus. Some might say the circumstances were telling these guys that this was not the day. You know, the circumstances, the fact that the crowds were so big and the fact that they couldn't get in the door, the circumstances were saying, man, God's closing the door. Remember, we've spiritualized that. Remember, we say, well, God opens doors, and say it with me, and God closes doors, right? So this is a closed door, right? I mean, these guys tried their best, but my goodness, the crowds are so big, and we can't get our friend to Jesus. God must be saying that we need to turn around and go home. But these men were not deterred by that. These men decided, you know what, if we can't get in the door, we're going to find another way to go. We often talk about God opening and closing doors, like I said just a moment ago. And while I see that there's nothing wrong with that, let me say this and let me give you a gentle reminder. Everything that appears to be a closed door, it may be a closed door, but don't assume that God closed it. Sometimes opportunities that seem to be squandered and lost are times where God is going to do great things. I did a little going down a rabbit hole looking in Scripture. Think about how many closed doors the people of God had come up against. What about the Red Sea and Moses? What about the Jordan River crossing and Joshua? What about Goliath and David what about King's Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar's statue that Daniel and his friends face? What about Daniel when he was in the lion's den? I mean, all those appear to me to be closed doors. They appear to be, well, you know, the river's kind of at flood stage. Joshua could have said, guys, let's turn around and let's go back to camp because God's closed the door. No. Many times in moments like that, we find if our circumstances are just not right, then we think, well, God must not be in it, and God wants to close the door. Let me, let me tell you something about circumstances real quick. This is, just, this is just kind of free, okay, to think about circumstances. Number one, God gives direction through circumstances. I believe that. God gives direction through circumstances. God does open and close doors. He's done it in my life. I bet he's done it in your life. God gives guidance. He gives direction. Through the Holy Spirit. He did that to the Apostle Paul. Remember in Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul and others were kept from going away that they wanted to go. God closed the door. And God opened a door for Paul to go another way, to go west instead of east. And you and I should be glad that he went west instead of east because that's partly how we have the gospel today, how you and I are believers today. The circumstances clearly pointed for Paul to go another way, but God wanted him to go another. But also know this about circumstances, okay? The devil can use circumstances to distract you. God can give you direction through them, 
But the enemy can use circumstances to distract you as well. Oftentimes because of poor choices that we make, we put ourselves in some circumstances that are not good. We find ourselves discouraged. And we find those circumstances sometimes misleading us. The the crowds that were all around Jesus that day were not a closed door to these guys. It didn't mean that they needed to say, well, give us an A for effort. We tried. Let's turn around and take our buddy back home. That's not what that meant. In this moment, we can't think that either. I don't know what you've got going on in your life. I have no idea. I'm not reading your mail. I have no idea what's happening in your life. But I just wonder this. Are there some circumstances that don't seem real promising right now? Now, whether those are some circumstances that you put yourself in because of a bad choice, or whether those are some circumstances that maybe God has you in so that you'll depend on Him, the question is, are you going to get discouraged by your circumstances? Look for the open door, look for the closed door. But these friends, they said, you know what? We're not going to let the circumstances keep us from doing whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. So these four guys, uh, it amazes me, these four guys pick up this paralytic, the idea of a paralytic is somebody that can't move at all. If you've ever been around a person who's paralyzed, they literally are, are dead weight. And you imagine this grown man is on this blanket and these four guys have got a corner and they've carried him from where he was to the place where Jesus is. Don't have any idea how far that was, but if you've ever carried a person dead weight, you know any distance you go is far enough. And these guys have carried him there. And they say, you know what? The crowds are crazy, but we are going to not let these circumstances deter us. There's a, there's a, there's a third thing that I want to tell you about these guys. They, they look past the conventional. They look past the circumstances. They look beyond the convenience. They look past the convenience. Okay, things are fixing to get hard for these guys, Okay. These guys did not take the easy way out. There was nothing convenient about what happens in the next few words that we read in Scripture. The door's blocked. The crowds are so swollen. The guys can't get in the way that you would normally get in. So these guys headed for the stairs. Now, I wonder which one of them came up with that idea. You know, hey, there's some stairs. Let's go. So they go the stairs. So remember, they're carrying this guy on a blanket. They've each got a corner. And now they're not just carrying him on flat ground, now they're going to go up. Now, I've often thought, uh, wonder what the paralytic was thinking at this point. You know, we think about the four friends. What do you think the paralytic, hey, fellas, maybe the stairs isn't a great idea. You know, what he's thinking. But as they, they begin to carry him up the stairs, I mean, they're going up, straining and struggling, lifting the dead weight of their friend as each one of them takes a stair, hoping that they don't trip or fall. And then once they get up there, it's kind of like the dog that catches the mail truck. What do I do with it now? I mean, once they get up the stairs and on the roof, they got to be thinking, well, what do we do now, guys? I mean, we're on the roof. Okay, what happens? And then one of them comes up with the bright idea, hey, let's go ahead and make a skylight here. So they begin to tear the roof apart. And the imagery that's used, uh, you may have heard this said before, Daniel may have taught you this, the, the Greek words that are used here in Mark 2 are literally guys are ripping the roof off, you know, I mean, tearing the roof apart. They're, they're, this isn't a precision cut, they didn't have a sawzall to make a nice clean cut, they're just ripping it up, ripping it up to lower their friend down through the ceiling, whatever it takes was their mindset. 
I'm convinced that there are way too many of us who are governed by what is convenient. Lest you think that I'm pointing the finger at you, there's four pointing back at me. We are governed by what is convenient. And if something is not convenient, then many times we're just not interested. If it's going to require toughness, it's going to require some effort, then many times we back off and we simply don't press ahead. I've said before that many times we quit way too early. I think God has some tremendous blessings and tremendous work that He wants to do in us and among us, but a lot of us quit too early, and we never get to that point where we see the work that God wants to do. It's not convenient for you to get up a little bit earlier in the morning and spend time in God's Word and maybe pray through a list of prayer needs. It's not convenient for you to do a lot of things, to turn your attention to the Lord. But listen, in the midst of that inconvenience, I promise you, God is going to richly bless you and do some incredible things in your life. I know it's not convenient to get up and go to church some Sundays, especially after a, a crazy wind last night. I mean, really, man, we ought to be in church today after that to thank the Lord for that thing. I know it's not convenient to get up a little bit earlier than 11 o'clock and go to a small group and have a lesson and fellowship and connection. I know that's not necessarily convenient to maybe forge a relationship with a person who's not a church person. I know it's much easier to connect with somebody who's a Christian, maybe somebody who's a church person, but maybe there's somebody at your school or somebody you work with or somebody that's your neighbor. I seriously doubt, even though this is my first time to be to Danville, everybody in Danville doesn't go to church. It's not convenient sometimes to make a relationship or forge a relationship with someone or to invite them over to a cookout at your house or to invite them to something that's going on here at church. But I think this, if God is going to do a work in you, if God's going to do a work in this place, if God's going to do a work in this world, we as Christians have got to move beyond the convenient. We've got to move beyond what's easy for us. Because frankly, folks, all, all the low fruit's been picked, okay? A lot of the low fruit has been picked. Now it's time for us to get the fruit that's a little bit tougher to get. And the bottom line is Jesus loves that fruit as much as he loves the low fruit. We've got to be willing to sacrifice our convenience. My convenience is not as important as another person getting to Jesus. And I've got to have the attitude, whatever it takes. These guys had that. These friends had that. And it's amazing what these guys do. I mean, think about this. Uh, they, they, they lower their friend. These guys are, are holding the corner of that blanket. I, I don't think, I don't know, but we don't know from the Scripture, Maybe they carried rope with them. I, I don't think they did because they were thinking they were just going to go in the door and take their friend to Jesus. But these guys get up on the roof. Then someone is going to go down the stairs and they're going to go find uh, some rope. Maybe they're going to find some kind of a crude pulley. They're going to have to do something. And then think of the effort that it took these men. Uh, think of the paralytic and how big his eyes must have been as, as they say, hey, trust us, buddy. We're going to just lower you down here a little bit. Yeah, he's thinking, yeah, right. And as they, as they strain all this man's weight and they're lowering him down uh, where he's coming into Jesus. This wasn't convenient for these guys, yet they were willing to do it because it was worth it to get their friend to Jesus. 
Here's the last thing about them. They looked beyond the conventional. They, they looked beyond the convenience. They looked beyond the circumstances. And lastly, here we go. They looked beyond the criticism. They looked beyond the criticism. In, a, in the crowd that day, we read about this. In the crowd that was, that was gathered there, listening to Jesus teach, there were some critics in the crowd. Now listen, there's critics in every crowd, okay? Every single crowd. The religious establishment that was there to hear Jesus teach that day directed their criticism at Jesus. And can't you imagine, after their criticism was directed at Jesus, I guarantee you they started to direct their criticism towards those four guys on the roof. Especially after they had worn maybe some of their best clothes, you know, to go to this religious service where a prophet was going to teach. And then there's these knuckleheads up on the roof that are knocking all this dust and debris everywhere. It's falling on my good Sunday clothes here. You know, I mean, I got my hair all fixed up. I don't have that issue, but some of you may. But I, I mean, I, I, I'm all put together like I need to be, and yet I'm getting dirty. I mean, these guys are fixing to take the brunt of a lot of these critics that are in this room. They're interrupting a teaching session that Jesus is doing. The stuff and dust is falling all over the place. Yet what's amazing is, in the midst of criticism, Jesus isn't deterred, and Jesus has shown us that many times, but these men are not deterred by the criticism. They continue to lower him down and get him to Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus faced constant criticism. In a personal study I did a couple years ago of the book of Acts, I was amazed, and I would encourage you, if you read through the book of Acts sometime, you'll learn that at every turn, the early church and its people were facing criticism of the culture. The culture was so hostile towards them. Sometimes we tend to think today, oh my goodness, the, the world's never been this hostile towards the church. Yes, it has. It's been this hostile towards the church since the church was birthed. But I'm telling you, in the midst of the hostilities, don't lose heart because the Bible tells us even the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the church. I've read the end of the story. The church wins. But listen, in the, in the battles that we face, there's going to be some difficulty and challenge. And we've got to fight through the criticism sometime. You never need to let the criticism deter you or distract you from the purpose and from your calling. And these guys were saying, you know what? We're going to get our friend to Jesus. It doesn't matter. What is said or what is done, we are going to get our friend to Jesus. Nothing's going to alter the course. Nothing's going to stop us. What if you and I had that kind of attitude? Family, friends, coworkers, students that you go to school with. What if we said, you know, it doesn't matter the criticism that I get. I mean, I'm not giving you a license to be a jerk, okay? I'm not doing that, but I'm saying this. You love folks. You're going to get criticized. You're not going to do anything wrong, and you're going to get criticized. But you can't let that criticism stop you from getting that person to Jesus. These four guys, I love them. If there would have been duct tape in that day, they would have, I guarantee you, had it affixed to their belts. Because they had a whatever-it-takes mindset to get their friend to Jesus. I'm kind of a history nerd, and I came across something that was really interesting a few weeks ago, I was reading about the importance of focus 
and inspiration. And in this particular article I was reading about, they were talking about the great musical composers of history. I mean, these great musical composers, people like Beethoven and Wagner and Bach and Mozart, I mean, all these people, we've heard their songs before, legendary musical composers. And it said there's one thing that was in common about all these legendary composers. They did not sit down to become inspired. Instead, they worked, and as they worked, they became inspired. Now, you see the difference? It wasn't like they got up and went and sat down and said, well, I'm just going to sit here for a while, and then maybe I'll have an idea for a song, and then I'll compose it. That's not what they did. They started composing and started working, and then the inspiration came for them to continue to write others down. These guys didn't waste time waiting for inspiration. They worked, and the inspiration followed that. I don't know how you've come in here this morning. Maybe you've come here hoping, well, maybe I'll hear something, and it will inspire me to go make a difference with someone. I hope that's the case. But I hope that you haven't been waiting long. Sometimes people wait for years, hoping to get inspired to maybe make that step, to take that action, to do whatever it takes to get a person to Jesus. Listen, just go work. Just go out and do it. And I promise you, in the midst of you doing it, God will inspire you and God will supply you and give you everything you need. Danville seems like a great town. You guys have a great facility here. And no doubt, you guys are making an impact in this city. But I promise you, there's paralytics in Danville. There's spiritual paralytics, people who are broken. They've tried everything that there is to try, and still they're broken. And they're just waiting for someone who loves them enough and who believes in Jesus enough to grab a corner of that blanket and take them to Jesus. I'm not asking you to save them. You can't save them, but Jesus can. And you take them to him, whatever it takes, because Jesus can change a life. Maybe he needs to change yours. I want to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment, and I want to ask you a question this morning. I have no idea how you came in here this morning, but have you come in here to this service today? And maybe you, yourself, kind of can connect and feel a little bit of understanding to that paralytic. You're broken. Everything's not put together like it's supposed to in your life. And you've tried all kinds of things. Have you tried Jesus? And if you've not ever tried Jesus, why not try him today? You can give your life to Christ. It's as simple as ABC. Just admit that you can't fix yourself and admit your mistakes to God. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do and then all you've got to do is just call on him right there where you sit you can say Jesus I need you to save me I know there's a lot of you that are believers already and I'm thankful for that but let me ask you this maybe in the course of this message have you thought about a person 
Have you thought about a person that is kind of like this paralytic? A person maybe that's a coworker to yours, maybe they're a neighbor, maybe they're a, a family member, somebody you go to school with, somebody who, who cannot fix themselves, and they need someone to come to them. They need someone like these four men. And I'm wondering if you will be that someone. Right there where you sit, just silently, I want you to pray maybe by name for that person. Maybe that person's face or name has come before you. And I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray, God, help me to be one of those friends for this person. Help me to be one of those people who looks beyond the convention, looks beyond the, the convenience, looks beyond the criticism. And help me to be that person that's willing to pick up that corner and do whatever it takes to get that person to Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that Jesus was willing to do just that for every single one of us. Jesus is not asking us to do anything for anyone else that he didn't do for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the links you went for us. May we be willing to go links for others. The paralytics, help us to see them as you see them. It's in Jesus' name we pray.